Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, happy Resurrection Sunday. Um, isn't it good just to be able to celebrate um, with those who are getting baptised this morning, also on Easter Sunday, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? They've picked a good morning to, to get baptised on. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Callum. I'm part of the staff team here at um, Gateway. Um, and I've been living with that, um, the name of that worship song, uh, if you know it, Graves Into Gardens, um, for the last few weeks. Thanks, Mum. That's my mum. Um, <laughs> um, and that phrase, Graves Into Gardens, has just been stuck in my head, kind of going round and around. Um, which is why, as Al said, there's kids in your kind of goodie bags. You've got some garden-themed um, activities. There's some rolls of paper around the room. Um, so if you've not done so already, why don't you go and um, see what kind of colourful gardens you can create. And actually, we've, um, if it's not dropped out, we've got some seeds as well, some wildflower seeds that all the kids can come up at the end and grab and take home so that you can grow your own garden at home. Um, but as I said, I've been living with that phrase of, of God turning graves into gardens for the last few weeks. And then I was, uh, as I was thinking about this morning, I heard this um, fantastic preach by a guy called um, Russell Moore along that similar theme, and, and I will happily admit that some of my intro I've taken from, from him, but we're going to spend a few minutes looking at Jesus' resurrection from the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to John chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 38. It will also come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Um, so John 19, verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who'd reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they didn't understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? 
And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Amen? So we read this story of Mary weeping at the tomb. And you can imagine that she is uh, probably thinking, if only, if only I had done this. If only we hadn't come to Jerusalem that last week. If only Jesus hadn't stopped Peter from using his sword. She's looking back and utterly broken, realizes that she can't change a thing, but wishing that she could. Do I need that? Okay. Here we are. Let's use this. Um, she's thinking back through things, wishing that she could go back and change, do things differently, right? Which is something that all of us wish we could do at some point in our lives, isn't it? Wish that we look back and we wish that we could do things differently. If only I hadn't said that to her the last time I spoke. If only I hadn't picked up my phone in the car at that moment. If only I'd told him I love you. If only I hadn't. If only I'd held her hand for a little longer. If only, if only, if only. And some of you might be sat here right now thinking through those kind of traumatic, horrific moments in your life, wishing you, you could go back and change them or erase them. Right? Some of you might not have had a moment like that yet, but unfortunately you will. And whether it's as you stare death in the face and as the saying goes, your life flashes before your eyes, or whether it's sometime before that, we will all look back through the story of our lives and wish that something could have happened differently. And the reason is because your story and my story are part of a much bigger story. A story that tells us why the things in our life and the things in this world aren't as they should be, aren't quite right. And that bigger story starts in the book of Genesis, in the Bible, which just means beginnings or origin, um, where something is ruined, where something goes horrifically, traumatically wrong in a garden at some point in history. And you and I have been repeating that story over and over again all of our lives. You see, Mary thinks she's lost everything at this point. She's looking back and knows that she can't change a thing, but it's not a coincidence that she's here in another garden. Jesus' resurrection is not just a fairy tale ending for Mary. It is God looking back to that first garden where it all went horribly wrong and changing the story of the entire universe. So let's think back to that garden, the Garden of Eden, for a few moments. The Bible tells us that God created the universe. Um, you might not believe that. That's okay. That's what the Bible tells us. However you think that may have happened doesn't really matter too much. But in particular, the Bible tells us that he created a garden. 
a beautiful garden, uncorrupted, full of life. There are rivers, there are trees, there are leaves, there are fruit, a place where heaven and earth collide in unimaginable glory. It's an incomplete garden, sure, but God calls it good. And God places the pinnacle of his creation inside that garden. Humanity, me and you. And God is in the midst of the garden. He knows the man and the woman by name. He walks with them in the cool of the day. He talks with them and he gives them a task to complete the garden, to spread its beauty and its abundance and its life to the rest of the world. Most of us know the story. Most of us know what happens, don't we? The man and the woman eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the tree that God told them not to eat from. And as they do, they bring a curse of death upon the whole universe, a curse of pain and of decay and of corruption and of death, where new life now comes from pain, where the very creation works against them to produce thorns and thistles, where their bodies now turn back to dust. The dust that God had used to bring forth life now returns to it from death. The earth that once promised life and fruit and abundance is now a constant reminder of things lost, of decay and of death. And so God put the man and the woman out of the garden and he stationed an angel wielding a sword at the entrance to the garden to stop humanity from living with that curse forever without any hope. The garden that humanity had lived in had now become a grave. But the good news of Easter is that Jesus has taken that curse upon himself. The thorns that, are now, that were produced by the ground were then placed into his head. The king of the universe was sent to die, sent to die nailed to a wooden cross made from trees that he had created. And drowned in his own blood, he was brought down from the cross, a corpse, and laid in a tomb in a garden belonging to Joseph of Arimathea. And that's exactly how Mary expects to find him. A dead body, decaying, starting to smell. But that's not what she finds. Instead, what she finds is an empty tomb. And just like an angel appears in the story of that first garden, angels also appear in the story of this new garden. Except this time, they're asking Mary why she's there. Instead of pointing her out of the garden into a grave, this time they're pointing her out of an empty grave into a garden. And it's in this very moment that we realize Jesus has changed the entire story. He's reversed the story of the universe. While humanity turned that first garden into a grave, God now turns the grave into a garden. And the Bible tells us in the letter to the Romans that creation itself will be set free from that from its bondage to that curse of decay and death and corruption. And when we finally get a glimpse of this happening fully in the last few chapters of the book of the Bible, um, we see something that we recognize. There's a river, there are trees, there are leaves, there are fruit. Uh, A place where heaven and earth collide in unimaginable and now endless glory. And God is in the midst of this new garden city, the king on his throne, eating with his people, shining like the sun. And it's no longer incomplete. It is perfect 
and whole, everything made new. Tom Wright, I just have a little quote. Tom Wright says, What we're witnessing in the resurrection stories is the birth of a new creation. The power of that curse that's tyrannized the old creation has been broken and defeated and overthrown. And God's kingdom is now launched and launched in power and glory on earth as in heaven. A new power is let loose in the world and this power will remake what was broken, heal what was diseased and restore what was lost. And that's what's happening on that very first Easter morning. God is turning the grave of creation, ruined, corrupted and decaying and he's making it a garden once again. But the story of creation is not all that's reversed. As Mary turns around and walks out of that empty grave, she sees Jesus. But she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener, which of course he is. Um, But she's still weeping. She doesn't understand what's happened yet. She thinks this gardener's taken away Jesus' body and she's pleading with him to tell her what he's done. And then Jesus says one word to her that opens her eyes to see who he really is. Mary. He says her name. You see, the resurrection of Jesus does not just reverse the story of creation. It reverses the story of humanity. It reverses, more than that, it reverses the story of Mary and of Callum and of Jamie and Casper and of you. When that curse came in the Garden of Eden, every single human was condemned. Every single human has been declared guilty before God. Every single human has hidden from him, just like the man and the woman hid behind the bushes in the Garden of Eden. We have been hiding behind our lives, behind the things that we surround ourselves with, our money and our possessions. And the truth is that you and I are guilty and we've spent our lives running from God, whether we know it or not. And there's nothing we can do to go back and change it, nothing we can do to erase that story. But the good news again of Easter is that Jesus has stood in our place. He has stood in that condemnation. He has taken it all upon himself, that curse of pain and decay and death. Every single bit of guilt, all of our sin, every single thing we've done wrong, everything we wish we could go back and change or erase, And he comes through the other side of that curse of death and he walks out of the grave. In his resurrection, yes, Jesus has birthed a new creation. And one day that transformation from grave to garden will take place completely and fully to all of creation. The good news, as Tom Wright says again, is that every single one of us, whoever we are, can be caught up in that transformation right here and right now. And that's what's happening to um, those getting baptised this morning. That's what they're stepping fully into. We're going to ask them two questions before they're baptised. Do you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? And do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? And when you answer yes to those questions, when you place your trust in Jesus, you're saying, I don't deserve to be alive. I deserve that curse of death and my only hope is that Jesus has shed his blood for me and that God has raised him from the dead. They are not getting baptized because they're perfect Christians. They're far from perfect as those of you who know them well will will probably know quite uh, quite a lot better than me. Um, 
But what they're asking is for God to count Jesus' death as their death, to count his resurrection as their resurrection. As they go down into that water and are raised back up, they are being buried and resurrected. They are following Jesus through the grave and up out into his resurrection. They're saying, God, please turn this grave, me, my life, my sin, my guilt, my condemnation, into a garden. They're becoming who they already are. Jesus hears their cry and he says, as he said to Mary in verse 18, just a few verses after we read, my God is now your God, my Father is now your Father. So, how do we respond? There are some of you here who are still living under that condemnation, still living under that curse. You've not put your trust in Jesus yet. You've not asked God to count Jesus' death as yours, his resurrection as yours. And I can't convince you this morning that uh, God really did raise Jesus from the dead. You'll have to look at that yourself and come to a decision. But what I can tell you is that Jesus is speaking your name this morning. The God of the universe knows your name. He knows you and he is speaking it to you. He wants to open your eyes so that you can see who he really is. If that's you this morning, it is as simple as saying, God, count Jesus's death as my death. Count his resurrection as my resurrection. I put my trust in you. And just as I said, he will say to you, Jesus will say to you, just as he said to Mary, my God is now your God. My father is now your father. Maybe you're with, maybe you've come with someone who's already following Jesus Just talk to them for a few minutes or come and speak to one of the leaders at the front after the meeting. We'd love to speak to you. There are others of us here who have been replaying those if-only moments. Those moments of pain and decay and death in our life. Those moments we wish we could go back and change or erase. And in fact, I know that there are some people here who are still living with the pain of those moments now and have been doing so for decades The beauty of the gospel of Jesus is that God will turn even those grave moments in our lives into gardens, into places of beauty and life. Let me read this last quote to you. Do you realize what is true of you if you are in Christ? Your promise that all of the haunted brokenness that infects everything, the brokenness that infects every relationship, every conversation, every family, every email, every wakening to consciousness in the morning, every job, every vacation, every if only moment in your life, everything will one day be rewound and reversed. The more darkness and pain that we experience in this life, the more resplendence and relief in the next. And he goes on to say, for those not in Christ, this life is the best that it will ever get. But for those in Christ, this life is the worst it will ever get. So God wants to give you hope this morning. Through his death and his resurrection, Jesus has birthed a new creation. He bore our sin and he took our place. He ended our shame. He's brought us into friendship with God, adopted us into his family. He has reconciled all things to himself. He has overthrown every evil power and he has given us hope. 
And the Bible tells us that this hope is like an anchor for the soul. It is firm and it is secure. And part of that hope is that those if-only moments, those grave moments in our lives will one day be turned to gardens. That one day God will turn every agony into a glory, as C.S. Lewis puts it. So let's pray and then I'll just hand back to Al. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to die. That you sent your son to redeem all the creation. Father, everything that we see around us that is wrong in this world, that is broken and decaying and painful and deathly. God, you have come to remake everything. Father, you have birthed a new creation through the cross and your resurrection, Lord Jesus. We thank you also that you've came to save us that you have taken all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of that condemnation, that curse that we deserved, you have taken it upon yourself and you've stood in our place and you've died the death that we deserved and in your life, Lord Jesus, we have found life. And Father, I thank you that in the cross and the resurrection, those moments of regret, whether they were our fault or not, those moments we wish we could change, those moments that have changed the story of our lives, not for the better. Father, I thank you that one day you will turn those moments too into moments of beauty and glory. God, we worship you this morning. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your resurrection and we give you glory. Amen. Amen.